Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. G.X. Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, truth seekers, and truth crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership guitarist, multi-instrumentalist, singer, composer, and producer Ronald Spearman, also known as Roncat, and leader of the Bay Area funk band Ket Delic, a veteran of more than 10 years performing and recording with George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars, Ron Cat is a Grammy-nominated, award-winning songwriter whose Dance on the Mothership album was one of the last decade's funkiest highlights. Other artists he has collaborated with include Tisha Campbell, Jade, Aaron Hall, Joey Lawrence, Mickey Howard, and Brenda Russell. Very cool to have you. Ron Cat, how are you, man? Good to be here. Good, good. Yeah. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Where are you coming to us from today? Today I'm coming to you from Missouri, St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been back here for a while um, doing some recording and just uh, got out of California for a minute. The last part of um, before the COVID actually took off back there. So I do miss California very much. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit colder where you are now. Yeah, definitely. It's about, uh, it was 28 degrees this morning. Now it's like probably about like 36. So trying to keep warm back here, you know, 
making this funk, this new funk music we've been working on. So, well, back here forever. That's that's kind of good though. You know, the cold keeps you inside, yeah. keeps you, you know, making the funk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, definitely. All right. Yes. Uh, well, great. Uh, thanks for uh, coming on. I appreciate it. Looking forward to uh, talking some music and funk with you. Sure, sure. So, Rocket, you're originally from the Bay Area. Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, you know your upbringing and how you uh, got into music? Um, actually, I'm originally from Michigan, and then I moved to um, California. And um, per, in pursuit of uh, a career in music, um, along the way, met uh, just a host of different artists and became a writer for a living and um, was in various different bands along the way. And then um, bumped into George Clinton and was introduced to him by a mutual friend and then um, jumped on the road with them and uh, never got off for like 10 years. <laughs> and now I'm here. <laughs> That's in a nutshell <laughs> right there, man. Um, <laughs> did, did you have any formal uh, music training or just self-taught or? Um, just some. Um, I played with like, these fusion jazz cats. Like my father used to take me to these clubs when I was like 10 to play with like these jazz musicians back in the day, um, like Grant Green and all these different players and stuff and some local. And I always had the uh, music around from pop to funk to rock to country, to everything. So it was just like a whole melting pot full of music that was around. And then from that, I, I think I was, I was always writing songs all the time, creating songs and creating music in some capacity since little and songs just pop in my head, phrases, melody lines and beats and all kinds of things that it just won't leave me alone, <laughs> you know, but um, I enjoy it. You know, for the most part, it's like one of my most favorite things to do is make uh, music. So, and was guitar your your first primary instrument? Um, actually, um, I had all the instruments as a kid. Like, I had the guitar and drums and bass and keyboards. They were all like just I was surrounded those things so I could go and I mean they were toy things but like I could go and actually create on those things and get a feel <clears throat> for how those things operated and then from there I just started creating my own sounds and learning how to just like um, just create different vibes just from that point like not really having any real formal training but then there was always music around. Like I remember a bass fiddle player used to be like boom, 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 boom. Like from like me being a baby, I just remember looking up and seeing somebody across the hall like playing, you know, bass. And so I played bass and just 
everything. Singing was always around. There was always music around. Always. Always. How, how old were you when you left Michigan? Musical. Um, I'd say I was about 17. So, I mean, uh, and near the Detroit area or whereabouts in, in Michigan? Uh, Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids so, Michigan. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I have a lot of people on the show who come from the Detroit area and there's such a rich music history, mm -hmm. you know, there. Um, is yeah. some of that sort of, you know, permeate out? I've never been to Michigan at all. So does some of it uh, kind of permeate play. out to the areas like where you grew up? Yeah, I mean, I grew up with the DeBarges, you know, like, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar, well, you must be familiar with them. Yeah. But I grew up with them. Um, the pastor, uh, I forget his name, we just talking about him. He's a big pastor of a church now. He's, oh, Melvin, uh, Marvin Sapp. I remember when he was little kid, you know. And um, just a plethora of just like bad, badass players and stuff, you know. Just always all these talented people. And um, yeah, so to the answer to your question, yes, <laughs> so it you, all. You knew the DeBarges? Over did, you know, did you know any of the DeBarges? Or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I grew up with them. I grew up with them. I went to school with them. I've. I've, I've Written on L's records, I've I've been in studio. I got L on, like masters of mine. You know, we still chat it up every once in a while, wow. and I know all the brothers, Chico, all of them. I mean, I remember when they first got their deal. They were part of the reason why I, after I got out of high school, did like a, maybe like a year and a half college, some junior college, is what they call it. And I, I, they went to California and made it out of high school. And then I was like, well, they can do it. And then I had another friend too that, that I grew up playing with who was a bass player. And he went and got a record deal in California. We were all going to California. It was either go to California and make it in music or go to um, General Motors and get a job, <laughs> you know. So, um, I didn't want to do that one. So, go to General Motors. So, I just took a shot. I had a thousand bucks and I went to California and cold turkey and just roughed it for a long time. I don't advise that to the youth <laughs> to just like, you, you, you might want to have a little bit more than a thousand bucks. At that time, it was a lot. But uh, you you kind of want to get your education and, you know what I'm saying, a little bit of it anyway. Did you go straight to the Bay Area when you came to Cali? No, I didn't. I actually went to Los Angeles. And it was hard. It was hard. I had people telling me to go back home. They said, man, you ain't going to make it out here. You need to just, you should, you should probably go back home. And I didn't tell my parents that I was leaving the day that I left to go. I just packed up all my stuff and put it in the U-Haul. Because I felt like I was going nowhere, like in, in Michigan, just for what I wanted to do. And I just didn't want to fall into the same old 
thing that all my friends had fell into. You know, some of them went to college and they were became doctors and different stuff like that. But I knew I was going to be a doctor, you know, so and I wasn't going to be an attorney or nothing like that, you know. And um, I definitely wasn't going to make nobody's cars. <laughs> they wouldn't want a car that I'd make. Maybe they might, I don't know. But, um, and so I just struck out, went to California, and just, I just, I was determined. I wasn't, I wasn't coming back to Grand Rapids until I was, until I made it. I had more determination at 17 than probably I do now. <laughs> you know, I guess because I kind of became successful. But I, uh, it was a rough, it was rough, man. So what, was the, what was the first sort of uh, break you got music-wise once you were out there? I met a man by the name of J.J. Jackson. And he, he did that song called It's Alright, Alright Now. Doom, 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 doom. I don't know if that helps. Oh, yeah. but Anyway, I met him. Yeah, I met him. He had a big giant ass gold piano in his house. And he wanted me and my friend from Michigan to come and sing backups in the studio. And that was like my first paid gig. And um, I'm all excited. I'm like, wow, I'm proud. I'm, 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 I think I made it, you know? And so we go and we do backups. Okay. We go and we do backups. And I'm thinking, I'm always thinking about, like, I still think business, you know, for the most part. So I'm like, okay, so we sang the songs, cool. Where's the money at? <laughs> you know, because I had heard about all these R&B singers <laughs> that wasn't getting paid. And they didn't know about publishing and all that stuff. And I came, I knew about all that kind of stuff when I got out there. And so JJ came in the studio and he had his big giant ass chocolate cake. And we were starving, starving musicians. So I said, uh, so where's the money? And so he says, he started slicing up the cake and he put out these paper plates and doled one out to everybody. And that was the payment. And I didn't realize that until after I finished eating, but I'm like, yo, Oh, like, <laughs> so, okay, cake was cool, so where's, where's the paper at? And so he was like, oh, no, did, did, uh, did, didn't uh, Clarence tell you? Uh, he, Clarence, my friend Clarence, he's changed his name to Shamar, Niall Star. Um, and so he said, man, he ain't going to pay us, man. He said, the payment is the cake. So I, so I didn't want to cause, I didn't want to make any waves. So I was like, okay, well, well let me have another piece then. <laughs> he was like, no, man, you ain't getting no more of that cake, man. <laughs> and I thought he was joking, but he wasn't. And so I was like, this guy's, he ain't cool. So we left the studio. And then he asked us again, like I think about a week or so later, to do some more backups because we were good at backups. And, and that's when I learned how to just be, to be able to do whatever it took to survive in music, which 
I wanted to play guitar, play bass. I could do all of those things, but that particular situation didn't call for that. So um, sing backups. So I sang backups. So I started making money singing backups. Then I started making money playing the bass, guitar, and all these different things. So, and then it just helped me develop the skill. It reminds me of, I had uh, Bloodstone, the original original guys from Bloodstone on recently, and they were talking about one of the first things they did, they got fried chicken for it. So kind of a similar <laughs> thing to the cake. And I was out in Los Angeles, too. They had gone out to L.A., so, yeah. Man. Um, well, what was, was the first? L.A. was hard. What was the first uh, gig that you, you know, actually did get paid? You were like, yeah, this might work. I'm still waiting on that gig. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, um, let's see. I don't know. There were all kinds of little victories um, along the way that I had to learn that were victories that I didn't realize after a while. Um, I think. I think. Um, for live playing, or if you just mean like a, a job, like my first real great paying job was like when I started doing the songwriting. The live stuff was just like, it was just not like cracked up, unless I was playing covers and I didn't, I never really would, I, I wouldn't do the covers. I never, I didn't want to fall into that one either. Like I just never did the covers, and all my friends were doing covers, and they, they were getting paid. But I just, I just wanted to play my own original music, and I just kept that. And then I started writing songs, and then my first hit song was like this song called "Good Love" by Climax, and it was an, it was an R&B hit, and. Um, and then I did I did a bunch of people. I wrote for Ralph Trasvant. I wrote for um, I did some stuff, some stuff that didn't come out. Did some stuff with Gladys, um, Stephanie Mills. that came out. Um, you did music and my lyrics. Hit was, did, you do, uh, did you do music and lyrics? I did music and lyrics. Um, sometimes, like with with my production partner. Um, he would do the music or sometimes I'd do the music. We both did both, but he had more experience. And that was like, I was, it was like I was being enrolled in school, like, like, like going, you know, as an apprentice working under certain mugs, like, um, my, um, my writing partner, Vassal Bentford. And that's where I really had my hits with him. He, we did, um... The song we did, the first thing we did was, um, I was a part of uh, the New Jack City movie. I was around that time. And then I, um, we did, our first hit was on uh, the, the movie. I scored a little bit for a class act. The movie it was like this kid and play movie. And that's where I first had my really, like my big hit. Um, it was my big hit was after that. And um, it was called Don't Walk Away. And um, DJ Diplo just cut it like about, he redid it um, like, uh, it's been two years now, I think. And um, 
just did a host of, host of other stuff. Um, and I'm not, I don't like to, I don't want to seem like I'm bragging or nothing because it's probably, you know, a lot of people have done a lot of different things, but it's, it is stuff that I've done. So I'm just telling, I'm just saying what it is. Well, that's why we're here, man, is to go through that. So no worries. Uh, what, what, right. uh, um, what was it like when you first heard something that you were involved with, you know, on the radio or in a club or wherever it was that you heard it? It was amazing. It still, it still is the best reward that you can get. And then to know that people appreciate the work. That's, that's, that's like when the people appreciate the work and you hear it on the radio and they're, you know, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great feeling. It's a great sense of accomplishment to be able to like, know that you started off in a kitchen writing these lyrics, not knowing where that song was going to end up or what it was going to do. And then all of a sudden, boom, blows up. And then the best part of it is, is going to the bank. <laughs> You know, because it's it's the reward, you know, and it helps you to take care of your family and and do other things, you know, for society, friends, or whatever it is, you know. It's 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 it's, it's I'm so glad that I really actually took that trip when I was 17. But at first, when I first got out of California, I was like, this is crazy. I probably will never do this again. But I couldn't stop. Once I got into it, Ronke, who who were some of your biggest influences early on? You know, in terms of other musicians or players, songwriters. I mean, that's that's a long list. That's a long list. I mean, Beatles, John Lennon, Dylan, um, Prince. Um, before Kanye went crazy, he was, you know, uh, I'm just kidding, yeah. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, Jay-Z, I mean, there's still so many now that people are doing so much innovative stuff. And the DJs of the day, they like really influencing hip hop, like a big influence, um, you know, so many, so many, so many. George Clinton, you know. I I didn't know that I would. I really wasn't into the funk like that, like when I was little. Like I used to have the funk all around, and I didn't really know who that who that who that music was. And then when One Nation came out, and then I got to see the mothership land. I was like, oh my God, this guy's amazing, you know? And then um, uh, I met him and we became like instant, you know? How, how did you come to meet him at a show Friends. or just? I met him through a mutual friend um, that knew um, him. And at that time, I was um, hanging out with Rick James. <laughs> um, and uh, 
Um, okay, well now, how, how did, how did you meet Rick James? <laughs> okay. Um, Rick, I met through... Um, I used to um, be married to one of the Mary Jane girls, Maxie, and we have a son together. Oh. And um, she introduced me to him. And... Um, he came up to my house. I actually introduced Rick James to Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> um, and uh, from what I understood, that was the first time that they met. I mean, but um, they were both at my house at the same time. And that was pretty amazing. Those were some cool times. Um, but... Um, yeah, that's how I met Rick. I met I, I met Rick through Maxie, and then Maxie knew the person that introduced me to George, and then um, George was working on the Nike um, thing and then uh, commercial, and then he got me involved into that, and then from there we did a movie together, and then. We scored and we did put a bunch of songs on it and then we just became like fast friends and then we started just like cutting and touring, you know. What what was your first impression of Rick James? Um I think when I met Rick he was like he's on the milder side because uh, you know he had I actually put I wrote a song on Rick's one of Rick's records that I really did smash and I don't think it really got its felt just do. But um he was cool. Rick was a rock star, for real. You know, and you know, I didn't know he was in Buffalo Springfield and all of that stuff. Mm. You know, he was like he's a he was a legendary guy. But I don't think Rick ever knew because I think Rick auditioned for P Funk at the time like when he was younger and i had asked george one time i was like how come you guys never you know let rick's you know stay in the band or be in the band or whatever and george said because rick was his own star rick was the star he didn't need he didn't need people he was going to be a star regardless and those those forces kind of just, but they both admired each other's work, you know, and, um, you know, he could be a bit, you know, brash, you know, and abrupt and crazy, and anybody, you know, get a little drink in them and whatever else, you know, can be a little, can get a little obnoxious, you know, rock and roll can make people crazy sometimes. <laughs> You know, if you don't, if you're not harnessed, you know, and even you might not want to harness, you might want to go just lay down. <laughs> but um, it's a, it's a, entertainment business is quite the, uh, quite the ride. Well, you, know, you got to really, got to watch it. And what was your first impression of meeting George? It was funny. It was funny because uh, he's got a great sense of humor, but 
he's just he's just a he's just an awesome um, personality and um, in depth, you know, well read. He's he's uh, he's amazing. It's amazing guy. You know, yeah, I learned I learned a lot from that camp. I mean, I learned show business one hundred and one with them. What year would you say it was that, that you met George? It had to be in there because we did we did uh, Fiji for uh, New Year's. We did on we were on the international dateline, and so it had to be before night. It either had to be like the beginning of 90, 1999 or like ninety eight. George introduced me to Prince, you know. So and. That was awesome. That was really cool. 99 was in a period um, when George was like between albums pretty much. He didn't, he had a yeah. long period there where he didn't do any actual records. Yeah. But he yeah. kept touring, always touring. He was, he was always, he was always cutting though. And um, he did some stuff. He, he had a deal with uh, Mammoth. And I'm not sure if that was like, Right around, um, it had to be after 99, like maybe, yeah, it had to be after 99. But um, he was always recording, though, always. Still is. He's probably recording right now. <laughs> if he's not, uh, I don't know if you've been watching him on social media, but he's been into painting yeah. this year. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's been painting. I got a couple of him paintings. Oh, yeah. He 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 paid he paid me in a couple paintings. They're worth a lot. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, so, what do you remember your first time in a um, recording studio, actually laying something down, and you know how how did you feel being in that environment? Um. Yeah, I remember my first time. Um, that was like when I was. Uh, maybe 12, 12 years old, 11 or 12. And I was playing with this band that actually was one of the bands that went off to California. And after I got out of school, I went and, um, I went to go live with them for a little while because they had landed a deal. But um, it was an awesome experience. Um, it was so exciting to know that we were actually trying to put out our own record. And um, that song that song was called Tell Me the Truth. I'll never forget that song. <laughs> and um, that was that was an amazing experience, you know. Because I really thought we had made it, you know, like in our little small town, we're in this like Swanky little studio and we're recording and everything. It was cool. Yeah. Hmm. I have, um, you know, a list in front of me. It doesn't have all those people that you mentioned, but, and I mentioned them at the intro pe people like uh, Tisha Campbell and uh, Aaron Hall and mm -hmm. these, these people. When you were writing these songs, did you ever go into the studio with any of them or you pretty much just kind of sold the songs and then they recorded them as they were going to do them? And 
No, no, we were in the studio with them. They were in our studio. Oh. Tisha cut in our studio. She, 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 she cut in our studio. We mixed her. We mixed her at Capitol. Um, Joy Lawrence. We mixed him. I mean, we recorded him at the house at our studio. Um, I don't know who else was on that list. I don't remember, but um, we had we we would record a lot of those people. We would track them at the house, and then we would mix them somewhere. Sometimes we would track them at a different studio. We were using Larry towards the latter part a lot. Um, I don't know if that that studio must still exist in L.A. Right, Larry. I don't know, but it sure is. I mean, I know of it. It's sure famous, but I don't know if it's still around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we made a lot of records there. <clears throat> and, uh, um, yeah. So that was, uh, yeah, we did a lot of that. For and Mick, Mickey Howard and, um, Mickey, um, Mickey. I cut, I cut, I think I cut Mickey at my house, I think. And then at that time, Mickey had a girl group, I think. She was trying to get me to, to, um, to produce, I think, at one point. I haven't spoken to her in a long time. She's great. I just had, um, I don't know if you know, Arthur Brown, keyboard player, um, was with Kiddo. And uh, we were just talking about Mickey Howard because he played with her, and uh, he was saying what a character mm -hmm. she was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She is. She's 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 a very talented woman. Yeah, yeah. So, what was it like when you went out with P Funk? And um, you know, can you share with viewers? your impressions of some of the other band members, some of them aren't with us anymore, like, you know, the Gary Scheiders and, um, you know, yeah. Peanut and some of these other uh, characters. I don't know if you got to play with Bernie at all, but. I got to play with them all. I mean, I play, I play with them all. I played with Bootsy. I played with Bootsy. I was on, I was on the, uh, the last, um, what was that big festival back in the sixties? They redid it. Or was it 60s or 70s? I forget. Woodstock 99? Yeah, I did that. I did that with them. I was there. Um, I, I I played with Bernie, and um, he was amazing. All of those all of those guys are very, very um, well-read musicians. I mean, you know, Bernie's from Juilliard. He went to Juilliard. You know, Michael Hampton's, you know, amazing. Kid Funkadelic is amazing. If you didn't learn anything from, like, just standing there, you you were, something was wrong with you. You know what I mean? You had to at least walk away being some kind of funky, even if you didn't play, standing around all of that funk. Like, I'm standing in between Gary Scheider and, and Boogie, and George over here, and Bernie, it's it's. There's no way that you could not come away being funky, like around all that funk. Because I used to stand in between Gary Scheider, who was like one of my closest friends, 
aside, I mean, in, in conjunction with George, in the band and Sir Nose and all the rest of them, and um, and Boogie was on this side. So when we got together on those guitars, and then you got Blackbird over here and Michael Hampton, we was like the guitar. I mean, we was like it was like it was amazing, man. I mean, I I miss I miss the sound of that. I used to like sometimes when Michael Hampton would be playing Maggot Brain when we'd be in Europe, I would be like in tears. You know what I mean? Because you really got to know and you could feel the emotion in that. You know. And um, I don't know if I was crying because of the emotion or if I was crying because I drank too much or something. I don't remember, but <laughs> it really I'm just playing. But <laughs> it was a, it was really a great, great it, it was the greatest, one of the greatest experiences to just, you know, get that opportunity to be like over in Russia, Funkin, you know, Madagascar. Who does that? Like with funk music, you know, and just, you know, they were all like, everybody is just like, you know, they're artists, so they have their temperament, you know, and they just like just just trying to express themselves and do their thing with and together they know how to pull together and make it you know be that thing that it's you know meant to be you know it's just funky you know it's it's uh i don't i mean i think i got i got one of the best diplomas from that school like I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't erase that if I wanted to. I mean, sometimes I play and I'm performing somewhere, and I can feel shyder. I can feel them around me. You know, I can feel that the energy. You know, you know, and how they would encourage me. They was encouraging. They would be teaching you how to do things. If you if you were open to learning, they would they would come up to you. You know, they made me learn stuff. And I was such an unorthodox player, <laughs> they couldn't believe it. It was like, they would pick my guitar up because it's tuned a little different. And you know how sometimes in a sound check, people are like picking up each other's axes and playing. They would pick my shit up and be like, what? man, what the hell? And then they'd say to me, they'd be like, how are you playing that? How are you coordinate? How are you? How are you doing that? And my whole thing was just determination. I just wanted to be a part of it. That I figured figured out my own way of, you know, making it work and playing it, you know. And they would just they they allow me the freedom, like to just you know, just do it. They didn't allow me freedom to like. You know I mean, you can't just like mess up the classics and no shit like that but um it was just it was a great it was a great experience that's all i can really i mean i got so many so many stories i want to write a book about it you know because it, it's just it's just it's really something you know i miss those guys too really miss shider and boogie did you ever uh, do anything up there on stage? Maybe that you like missed something or whatever, and, and maybe George or Gary would give you a look or something. Or 
Oh, something um, that wasn't supposed to be done. Yeah, or something maybe you missed a cue, or you or you threw something in there that wasn't you know what they were looking for, or something like that. Um, with Shider, only thing that I would do sometimes is like if um, I'd be, I might be late. Like I, and I only happened like maybe twice. I almost missed the downbeat of the show, and I used to hate to like if I was late. And I would never be late, but like one time I missed the downbeat, the first song, and it's not a good look because they're not late. I don't care what people say about them, what they say about George, and he, you know, he don't, he's not a late person. It has to be some really unusual circumstances for him to be late for a show. He don't play that one. At least when I was with him, he was never late. And so that one you can't take for granted. So I would try to always be in time. And I remember Shider checking me. He said, man, because I was there with my, you know, my girl. And she had drove me there. And we had just got there. And I'm running to the stage, like, right before the show is getting ready to start. It's like 10,000 or so people out. And uh, I got there just in time. And he, they get to the point where they count on you to be there for a certain thing, to hold up your end, you know. And um, it's not that they can't do it without you, but it's just like you're part of the family, you know. So, but um, he checked me. He was like, hey, guy, hey, don't let that happen again. Don't, you know. That's your reality, Jack. You know, he would be like, <laughs> but um, that was my man, Shiner. He was my man. He was my man. Garrett Garrett's doing a lot of cool stuff now too. I'm proud of the way he's, you know, yeah. developed his craft. Yeah. 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 He's he's doing it. Yeah. He's got the podcast, I think. Yeah. He's doing pretty good. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.